This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Hi there, you sexy podcast listener. My name's Henry Zabrowski from The Last Podcast Network. And wow, it's me, Holden McNeely. Great. <laughs> we wish to present unto you Last Podcast Network's Deep Dives, Dunecast, where we'll be talking about all things Dune-centric. It's like a book club, but you don't even have to read the book. You don't have to read the book. You just have to sit and listen to two soft-bodied men warble about it. But soft-bodied men is what brought you Dune in the first place. You're welcome. Some people call me book stupid, but even I think Dune's a pretty fun read. It's more than a fun read, you dirty slug. It's a lifestyle. Style. Dune's got space witches, sandworms, and a tiny boy king that can see the future. He's only 15 in the books. They're making a movie about it. He's not 15 in the movie. From Stilgar Sietch down to the card of the god emperor Leto to himself, we will plumb and dig in the guts of Frank Herbert's masterpiece Dune and its far superior sequels. I'm finding some of the sequels difficult to read. Silence! Join I, Henry Zabrowski, and the useless appendage Holden McNeely as we ride the sandworm in Last Podcast Network's Deep Dives, Dunecast, a limited series from Last Podcast Network and Spotify. Listen to new episodes of LPN Deep Dives Dunecast only on Spotify starting March 15th. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Oof, oof, Marcos. I would like to... Start doing the show, but it seems that I am too full of chocolate. Yeah, you got a lot of chocolate on your mouth, man. Did you get into the chocolate drawer? Yeah, oh, you see, yeah, I went into the chocolate drawer. This is in a room. <laughs> yeah, huh? That wonderful little room that's got the, oh, it's got the closet. You go and you get wet, and it's got the mini pond. That's called that's the shower. <laughs> yeah, and then I went into the chocolate chair, and yeah. I saw all of you. I was um, like, oh, freshly made chocolate, chocolate and yeah. very bitter. Ninety-five yeah. <laughs> percent cocaine. Yeah, that was uh, that was Dookie, my friend. Eyes mm, away, I'm a sweet tooth little boy for it. <laughs> I love it. Welcome to the last podcast oh. on the left. I am Ben, hanging stuck out with Dookie feet. Stuck in the pipe at Willy Wonka's chocolate <laughs> factory. You are so talented. Henry Zabrowski <laughs> is with us. 
Dookie King, and of course Marcus Parks is with Hello. us. How are you, Marcus? I'm good. How are you, Ben? I'm good. You look you look sharp. You were mentioning how spring has sprung in New York, and I can see mm. it on your face and your eyes. Spring is almost sprung. We've had a okay. nice springy day, but it's spring is not yet sprung. When spring springs. I'll let you know. But yeah, I, think I think it's safe to say it's springing. It is springing. <laughs> Honestly, I was looking at Marcus. Marcus looks fairly devious today. There's oh. something, you have a mischievous look in your eye. You're looking a little bit like a man that employs orphans to pickpocket for him. But I think that it's good. I do feel like our subject has kind of, he's like coming from behind your eyes right now. Oh, oh yeah. My. Well, I mean, our subject today is very uh, villainous. Oh, this is say. really scary. So some of you might say, what's with the German perfect accent, Henry? <laughs> well, that's because today we're going back to my homeland and we're discussing a fella. I'm just going to say because I am fully assimilated to America. We're talking about a dude named Jack Enterwagger. All right, Kessel. <laughs> we know that your father tried to erase your German heritage both by burning all of the documents and by teaching you improper pronunciation of, ger you, of German words. I can tell you're not really a descendant of Germans because you don't burn documents, you shred documents. And that's what we did in 2000 after my Opa died. So, seven <laughs> hours of. <laughs> <laughs> just hearing cats dying, but in reality, it's documents dying that hold serious truths. No, it's secrets <laughs> going to sleep. Sometimes secrets need to go to a bed. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about Jack Unterwager. 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 Johann Jack Unterwager was an Austrian serial killer who strangled and killed 11 women, primarily sex workers, in both Europe and and Los Angeles. His first kill occurred in 1974, but after his release for that murder in 1990, Unterweger committed a further 10 murders in less than a year. He Damn. goes kill crazy. Uh, this is the story of, it's international serial killing, which I think yeah. is one of the first time we've covered this, except for Carl Panzram, it's who is the closest. Uh, this guy is, we're gonna talk about this a little bit more in depth, Marcus and I have started to apply certain Batman rogue gallery qualities <laughs> to certain serial killers, like Haddon Clark. When we covered Haddon Clark, oh, we were like, "The this, Riddler." He's he's no. not the he's no 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 no, no. he's really? class he's class C. Yeah, oh. he is a villain that gets beat up in the first fifteen minutes of the story that then gives the location of the Riddler oh, to Batman. It's I Mr. See. Zaz. Yeah, he's Mr. Zaz. For example, like Jeffrey Dahmer. That's Mr. Freeze. That's Mr. Freeze. That's class. Yeah, top tier, top, top tier. tier. Ted yeah. Bundy, we're probably close to calling him a the Joker. Honestly, I'd, I'd probably put him close to that. John Wayne Gacy, the Penguin, Class A, top, <laughs> top levels. But Jack Unterweger is another dude that mm. does not get a lot of attention. But this motherfucker is another one of, it's like, he's a super villain. Like this yes. guy is a, this is a Batman style villain okay. that uh, traveled the world bringing mayhem and his own personal style of conmanship to a bunch of different communities. And it's very rare that a serial killer does this. I mean, as, as, as we know, you know, serial killers usually uh, kill in a place where they're comfortable. Uh, and Jack Unterweger went everywhere and did fucking yeah. everything. Like he uh, was a, a highly dangerous human being. I know that story of the Des Moines lazy boy killer. He would bring his lazy boy everywhere, <laughs> sit down and shoot people. <laughs> I just ain't better when my butt's a level. Absolutely. 
Now, while one might ask why a convicted murderer was released after just 15 years, that question is precisely what makes Jack Unterweger interesting. See, in Austria, before it was known that Jack Unterweger was a bona fide serial killer, he was a bona fide true crime celebrity. Huh. See, while Jack was in prison for his first murder, he began writing, and five years before he was released, Jack had written an autobiographical best-selling novel called Fegefeuer, or in English, Purgatory. And so, when Unterweger was up for parole, public opinion helped set him free. I didn't realize you jerk off so much with somebody on a bunk beneath you in purgatory. Uh, <laughs> I feel like th- that would be my main source of purgatory. You know what I mean? yes, it's, yeah. it's that or like waiting, you know, bet- you're waiting for the game to download the next level oh and my. then like a buffering thing. It is just that always sitting with a PlayStation controller oh. in your hands, just like watching the circle go. Fate worse than death. But this guy uh, was a famous quote unquote rehabbed criminal. He yeah. was one of these guys like he will cover it in depth, but he kind of can't like I'm trying to figure out like what's the proper American analogy. Like he was a uh he's an example of like people can get better while while in jail. But mm-hmm. the question sort of like is the, when Charlie Sheen went through all of it and he was like he's getting better, but then he took tiger blood and then he went crazier. Maybe something like that. Because <laughs> at one point, Charlie Sheen went to pa- passages Malibu's and got his butt fluffed a little bit, or of something course. like that, and then uh, they but, got better. But he uh, he kind of wrote himself out of prison. Like yeah. he kind of just found a way to become. He's like, if I'm just famous enough, someone will let me go. Okay. Even while he was doing talk shows about the redemptive powers of creativity, and even while he was writing piece after piece concerning the seedy underbelly of the sex work industries in multiple countries, he was actually committing the same murders that he was writing and talking about. Wow. That's called conservation of content, where you just shoot (laughs) one show and you turn it to three different pieces of media. Yeah. See, Jack Unterweger was extraordinarily charismatic, which made him the most dangerous type of psychopath. He was so charismatic, even through the TV screen, that people would forget about his previous crimes almost immediately when he spoke, and the public became solely focused on Jack Unterweger the person and not Jack Unterweger the brutal murderer. That is unbelievable television talent. I don't know if this man needs to be in prison. I think this man needs a show. Well, yeah, it's like no one wants to talk about the serial murderers of Ina Garten, but when she finally, she did her time in jail and she got through that loophole that said there's no way that she could have been there the night that whole busload of children went into the cavern because she was too busy making a roast chicken for Jeffrey. But we now know that all of those crimes were real, but I think that her cooking managed to make her a step above some petty criminal. Also, Mr. Ira Glass, why do you talk so low? Oh, is uh, it because you're used to talking in closets as you watch people sleep before you slash their throats? <laughs> is that why Mr. Glass? Yes. <laughs> Another factor as to why Unterweger flew under the radar is because Austria actually had very little experience with serial killers outside of what seems like an inordinate number of Black Widows and Angels of Death. They had a whole <laughs> lot of those. <laughs> well, isn't that incredible how you have nothing if you refuse to acknowledge it? And both come from <laughs> a weird sense of morality, right? Because Black Widows is a lot of times is pragmatic killings or slash mm-hmm. revenge killings. And then Angel of Mercy killings slash Angel of Death killings are what they view. Sometimes it's money, but a lot of times it's some weird godlike 
idea that doctors have. So, but but Austria has never gotten a straight up full on American style serial killer before, and then they just yeah. got one popped up and they weren't ready also just to clarify some black widow murders are because some people are crazy and some people need to have forgiveness on their deathbed like how my grandfather forgave my grandmother what for selling them out to the americans (laughs) no my grandfather my american grandfather forgave my grandmother for being so mean to him while he was dying it was his last words that's incredibly sweet it's horrible. He lived a horrible life. Very sad. I love my grandmother, though. She was very funny. Yeah. And yeah, like Austria, they had never had a sexual sadist serial killer of the kind that's usually confined to like America, Canada, and the United Kingdom. Now, concerning violent sexual crime committed by men against women they don't know, there might be a reason why Austria has comparatively very little. As every long-time listener of the show knows, or as anyone who has even a passing interest in serial killers knows, the number one victim in serial killing has always been the sex worker. And Jack Unterweger killed sex workers almost exclusively. Only one of his victims wasn't a sex worker. Hmm. But as opposed to America... Sex work is not only decriminalized in Unterweger's native Austria, but it is completely legal and has been for decades. Woo! There, a sex worker has been able to legally sue a client for non-payment since 2012. No and shit! Been, and they've been taxpayers since 1986. Why are we just taxing them we should tax the boobies <laughs> i do want to see i do want to see the uh when the irs receives all of the money from the sex workers just dripping in bags of cum yeah. i'm making a joke <laughs> but you can imagine all of the sticky sticky dollars be like oh this is the good money they already hide all of the epstein money and all the other barrels and barrels of money that is sticky with cum I from see. other crimes uh-huh. <laughs> pimping however is illegal okay. uh, because it encourages exploitation so sex workers in austria are considered independent contractors and it's not a perfect system by any means exploitation still occurs to this day but even the women working the streets of vienna are still registered with the government and it provides safety for everyone well it yes. does it is hard because it does then you do get taxed which sucks i mean yeah. honestly it sucks because you you know you work really hard and then all of a sudden i gotta give what i give what percentage okay, to okay it's not that time you're on the wrong show <laughs> so but you know what i mean i can see how but the, the there's an accountability level. There's somebody yes. saying like, "Where's Sheila?" Yes. People don't just disappear like they do here in America. And, you know, as a result, violence against sex workers in Austria is exceedingly rare, as opposed to, say, America and Canada, where the criminalization of sex work is a direct cause of violence against sex workers. Yep. In other words, Jack Unterweger was an extreme outlier in his home country, and it was difficult for a lot of Austrians to admit that they'd been completely wrong about his rehabilitation once sex workers started dying violent deaths. Oh, you know, because then they're like, oof, I'm sorry, you've got a little <laughs> bit of Stinkelmeyer on my nose. Yeah, that's a <laughs> pretty big Stinkelmeyer right there, my friend. See, right here, you see how much, oh, this is this pile of Stinkelmeyer, guys, right here, sitting upon my mustache. Oh, I can't, I, honestly, I cannot imagine an Austri- an Austrian backtracking or ever apologizing. I just don't even know if they can as a people. It was after World War One they started. Yeah. yeah. After World War Two, they yeah. had a, a bit to be con- you know contrite about. But, but even contrition. then, they kind of skated. Hey yeah. man, <laughs> they gave us Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's all we need. It's true. equal now. Everything's done. We 
the crimes of the Holocaust have been fixed. <laughs> Very good, Henry. But concerning murderers turned writers turned murderers like Jack Unterweger, something very similar to this case actually happened in the United States almost a decade prior in 1981 with convicted criminal Jack Abbott and author Norman Mailer. See, Norman Mailer had just written the true crime classic The Executioner's Song about the execution of murderer Gary Gilmore. He'd done it with Gilmore's cooperation, but Jack Abbott, after reading the book, wrote Mailer a letter saying that everything Gary Gilmore said was a load of hogwash. It's hogwash! And you know what? In prison, their favorite term is hogwash, because hogwash is when they all get together and clean the fattest dude on the block. Oh, I love being the fattest dude on the block. Hey, boys, if it's Monday, it's hogwash. <laughs> so, after a brief correspondence, Mailer helped Abbott publish his memoir, In the Belly of the Beast, and Mailer subsequently endorsed Abbott's parole. As far as Abbott's previous crimes went, he'd been serving a sentence for forgery when he stabbed another inmate to death, and he had subsequently escaped and committed a bank robbery. Is it weird to say, in my mind, because... You know, Jack Unterweger originally went to jail for a brutal sexual murder, like a, which we're going to cover. But th this one doesn't seem as bad. I feel like this is the type of crime that you could get rehabilitated for. Because sometimes what I've heard from all of our prison shows, if yeah. you end up stabbing somebody in prison, a lot of it's just because you kind of like like had to or you'd get stabbed. Well, there's a lot of I've heard there's a lot of controversy and conflict in jail, although if this man <laughs> seems to be in prison for something just slightly worse than plagiarism. Mm, and then he stabs somebody, which is the problem. Well, that's the thing is that it. Prison officials maintained that Jack Abbott was a dangerous psychotic mm. who should not be released under any circumstances. I, I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally get what you're saying. Shit happens in jail. But this guy, they, prison officials talked to him, psychiatrists talked to him, and said this man should not be released um, under any circumstances whatsoever. He's he, awful. He's dangerous. A picture of Jack Abbott, he looks very scary. I will yes. say that. And uh, you know we're not supposed to judge a book by its cover because if you did, you'd be like, oh, Henry, are you a model? You know what I'm talking about? Right. <laughs> I know. But Jack Abbott was very, um, he's gnarly looking. And yeah. so I could see him being, he kind of one of those permanent scowls. Like he looked like a criminal from the Ren and Stimpy cartoons. Like he looked like, <laughs> what's his name? Ren? <laughs> Stimpy. No! Mr. Toastman? No! <laughs> <laughs> but since Norman Mailer was such a famous fancy pants writer, mm -hmm. the parole board listened to him instead, and Jack Abbott was released. Within six weeks, Jack Abbott was back in prison on a murder charge. Uh, Wait, so Norman Mailer basically helped kill a person? Yeah! Yay. Well, okay, let, let me tell you the story, and then you okay. can judge for yourself. Jack Abbott had been at a small cafe in Manhattan called Benny Bond with a couple of intellectuals from Mailer's scene. And and it was like, you know what happens when you know when you're in the middle of a beef in jail, right? And the guy's shitting, <laughs> right? So that's how you fucking shank his ass, right? Because he's got his pants around his fucking uh, ankles. Yes, he's got yes. shit coming out of his ass, right? So you go up and the mean thing is you want to fucking stab him right above the shit yes. bags, right? Because of his <laughs> blood could dip down into the fucking shit bags, right? Yeah, I've been told by uh, Norman that this is one of his more articulate friends. Yes, <laughs> yes, we're... Oh, very smart. Yes, indeed. Well, it was at this Manhattan cafe that Jack Abbott got into an argument with the waiter over their employees only bathroom. 
It is an infuriating position. I understand. You see a bathroom right there. You got to pee. And he's like, it's employees only. And the only thing that makes it an employees only bathroom is that sign. And so you know (laughs) it's a powerful sign. Of course. It's an insurance thing because no, what it is Hmm. is that the bathroom was in in this specific situation. The bathroom was on the other side of the kitchen and customers can't be in the kitchen because of insurance purposes. So the waiter was trying to explain this to him because Jack, I was like, why can't I go to the fucking bathroom? He's like, it's an insurance thing. I'm still, I'm still fighting for the liberty of bathrooms everywhere. I get it. It's difficult to find the hardest thing in the world to find in New York city, especially right now is a fucking bathroom in mm -hmm. Manhattan. It's impossible. Oh, these are great gripes, guys. Um, <laughs> one of the people that was speaking to this ex-con was uh, Howard Schultz, actually, from Starbucks. And he said, I'm going to create bathrooms that will be surrounded by coffee shops. People will come in to take a shit, but I will force them to buy my crappy coffee. Save this for the road, Kissel. This is good. Isn't well, Starbucks I- just a bathroom surrounded by a coffee shop? <laughs> Why don't any gas pumps work? I have so many different fun bits coming for you guys. <laughs> Well, after much shouting, the waiter, who was extremely accommodating for being a server in New York City, he compromised and led Abbott out to the alley where Abbott could urinate. Oh, I'm sorry. It was actually a big shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there in the alley, Abbott very quickly stabbed the waiter to death. Man. It's already hard being a waiter in town Manhattan. It's so oh. hard to be a fucking a fine dining waiter in the middle of that work. Can you imagine then also just getting fucking stabbed to death in the piss alley? Because you know you also use that as your piss alley. Oh, then yeah. he falls in the piss that he just got. Oh, my goodness. Uh-huh. God. But when Norman Mailer was asked about his role in releasing a dangerous individual out into the street simply because he was impressed with his writing skills, Mailer infamously said, culture is worth a little risk. What? I don't know if that's the right response, Norman. I, I work for your PR company. Uh, maybe just say the words, I'm sorry. I honestly, in my culture victories in Civ 6, you do have to kill people. But that's different yeah. because it I'm different. running a civilization. And it's yeah. a video game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Mailer did, however, later amend that. He said that his involvement with Jack Abbott was another episode in his life in which he had nothing to cheer about or take pride in. But despite these failures, there are examples of advocacy working. French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre and Pablo Picasso went to bat for writer John Genet when he was faced with a life sentence following multiple arrests. And Genet never got in trouble with the law again. Well, he also went to jail for, like, sodomy, not like a real crime. It was like one of those things where they jailed him for being gay. But if you read Our Lady of the Flowers, it is very interesting. It's a lot of poop. (laughs) Okay. There was also Scottish author and former gangster Jimmy Boyle, who was actually convicted of killing a guy, yet still became a successful and law-abiding novelist afterward. There are, however, differences between these guys and Jack Abbott and Jack Unterweger. See, Jean Genet was mostly a petty criminal, and as Henry said, half of his convictions were bullshit sodomy charges. And while Jimmy Boyle was certainly a violent gang member in his past, there's a strong possibility that he was innocent of the murder, and the murder he was convicted of involved another gangland figure. He was just a, just a fucking guy in a gang. That can be rehabilitated, of course. I sure. really, we, because we all believe here, we believe in rehabilitation, and I think that things are, people are obviously over-prisoned and over-punished as it is, and it doesn't help, but... It is hard. I'd love to have people write in side stories, LPOTL at gmail.com, like people that work with this type of crime and asking about if someone does intense sexual violence, how do you rehabilitate 
that person? Ooh. Like, what do you do with someone Can you who rehabilitate is ju- that person? Well, or do you I just lock them in a fucking room until they die? I My little insight, I did last Thanksgiving on Abligan's Top Ad, I did a special speaking with a therapist who works with non-offending sexual predators. No, we remember. Um, and it was, and so, she it was, was a perfect pedophiles, time. But, yeah. she, but that is the main crux of the conversation is can yeah. rehabilitation happen? She says yes. Well, by contrast, Jack Abbott's murders were impulsive, anger-fueled, and animalistic. Obviously a dangerous human being. He stabbed a guy to death because he wouldn't let him use the fucking bathroom. Yeah. And Jack Jack Unterweger's first murder conviction was an absolutely brutal, prolonged, sexually driven, premeditated affair involving a young woman. And there was a direct witness to the fucking crime. In other words, while we're, of course, all for rehabilitation, there's certainly a middle ground to find between putting someone away for life on a drug charge and freeing a psychopath because he turns a good phrase. Yeah, and they also give them, like, they in Austrian prisons, they have, like, fireplaces. and <laughs> Yeah, it's they, really they, nice. They have, like, the foosball tables. They have rumpus rooms. I, I yeah. want to say they have, there is a rumpus room. I think that they might have a rumpus room. I mean, to be fair, how bad did he have to piss? <laughs> and I know we have to move on from that, but I'm just thinking about the last time I was driving. You have to piss so bad. And if there was the option where it's like you can kill this person and immediately feel better. I don't know. I and don't know. I, you know, and I have actually been asking myself the question today, like, would I be as annoyed about Varg Vikernis only doing 15 years in prison if Varg Vikernis didn't annoy me so much? Personally? Interesting. I don't know. I also wonder whether or not I but the thing is, is that if I was going to kill one member of society to piss, I would never want to kill a waiter or a waitress because of how hard they work. If it was like a congressman, like, I feel like that is a much more like that. Just like, let me choose the victim. Well, thank God for Howard Schultz. That's all I'm going to say. Saving lives with bathrooms all over the place. But before we get into the story, let's acknowledge our one source for today, because unfortunately, most of the books about Jack Unterweger are written in German. Our book is Entering Uh, Hades. (laughs) Gross language. We just can't read it. I know. Our book is Entering Hades by John Leake, which it's a somewhat erratic and incomplete in its telling of the tale, but it still has plenty of good information. If anybody has a translated version of, I'm looking for this because I couldn't find it anywhere. I was looking for Jack Unterweger's Purgatory. I was looking for it. If you got it, please send it to me. SideStoriesLPOTLGmail.com. Also, if it just slowly reverts back to Bigfoot erotica, we're going to know you're making it up. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the thing about Jack Unterweger's childhood to remember is that it is still, to this day, grossly misrepresented in most of the media that covers his life story. See, as we said in the Ted Bundy chapter in the last book on the left, available online and wherever fine books are sold. Nice true plug. Thanks you. <laughs> thank you. True crime journalism <laughs> often depends on the most untrustworthy person in the room for the narrative. It depends on the killer itself. Mm. Now, there are reasons for this. Partly, it's because when it comes to serial murder, the only living witness is 99 times out of 100, the murderer themselves. Right. Even the fucking Ted Bundy book was called The Only Living Witness. The other part, however is that everyone, especially a journalist, loves a good, clean narrative. Mm -hmm. A narrative that tracks. A narrative Mm -hmm. that makes sense to their mind, even if whether or not it is real or not. Sometimes you want to look at a story and you want to tell a specific story about Mm -hmm. somebody because that's how you make it make sense to you. And then you think that's how you make it sense to the... That's how it makes sense to the public. But guess what? Sometimes the truth 
It's stranger than fiction. Whoa! (laughs) And since serial killers are almost always psychopaths, they like to create a sympathetic backstory to help excuse their crimes and deflect blame away from themselves. Right. And that usually results in a pretty straightforward narrative that's irresistible to a lazy writer. Concerning Jack Unterweger, the picture he painted of his childhood in both his books and in interviews was barely true. According to him, his mother was a petty thief who abandoned him at a young age to an alcoholic, abusive grandfather in the early 50s. Because there's something also about an abusive Austrian grandfather. I know, because you can just see him showing up on his front door like the kid from the movie Up with the big lollipop just being like, are you going to take care of me now? And it's cute. And, and he just, just later the and, fuck out of him. Yeah. Starts no, molesting him and all that fucking shit. No, it's Joseph Fritzl. Oh, yeah. I see. Never mind. I was Crooked thinking mustache. more like Bavaria, like fun, <laughs> fun pretzels and stuff. No, it's like a guy who spends all day whittling those like, you know how in every Santa Claus movies, the original Santa Claus always like whittles like fishermen on a log and you're supposed mm-hmm. to be like, thanks. Like this when you get nice. this thing. Yeah. But like it's a guy who spends all, all the time whittling, whittling those little like old Santa Claus toys and then just beating the fuck out of you with them. Oh, that's scary. Well, some accounts, including Jack's obituary in the Los Angeles Times, went even further and said that Jack Unterweger was the son of an Austrian streetwalker and an American soldier, and that he'd been raised among sex workers in a remote Austrian village. Ooh, like Richard Pryor. Yeah, and Jack <laughs> and uh, uh, James Brown. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, 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 a complete and total fallacy. Oh. And according to Jack's own biography, he grew up in an oppressive and cramped cottage in the Alpine countryside, surrounded by seedy, violent individuals that seem almost cliche. This is an excerpt from his book describing his childhood environment. My eyes burnt from the smoky air in the low little room. <laughs> Women prattled, <laughs> men played cards. I was the house und cart fool, a slave, educated to be a fraud's accomplice. I sat on my uncle's lap and betrayed his cards to grandpa. I was the ace in his slave. His face were my teacher. Fists, fists, not face. His face, fists. His fiasts were my teacher. And I was a good student, <laughs> where I accepted these fears as lessons. Mm. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, gosh! Oh my! Oh, yeah! Hey, Jack, got some more chocolate for you. <laughs> you just want to go into the kitchen near the wet, very <laughs> fresh. Just look at all of these different ribbons. Yeah, different styles, levels of cocaine. That schnitzel shit. (laughs) To be clear, he is Austrian, not French. No, he's Austrian. That's Austrian. That's Austrian. (laughs) But I do like this idea that he was a, like... The, the weird boy accomplice into a hut filled with criminal people. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, he further claimed that the only kind person in his life was his aunt Anna, who also happened to be a sex worker. And this, of course, introduces yet another cliche, the so-called hooker with the heart of gold. Hmm. Most of them at least got a heart of bronze, though. I'll yeah. tell you what. Yeah, or at least a heart full of a lot of carcinogens. But with aunt Anna... Unterweger included a twist. According to him, Aunt Anna was later murdered by a customer. (gasps) And Jack often used that story to gain the trust of both cops and sex workers themselves. Oh, what an incredible storybook beginning. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what you think a serial killer would come from. Yeah. Yeah. 
But when people began looking deeper into Unterweger's past after they finally accepted that he'd killed 11 women, they found that while his stories had nuggets of truth, like the best lies always do, most of his story was false. Now, Jack had been born into post-World War II Austria in 1950. This was back when the country was divided between American, British, French, and Soviet Union control. And his father probably was an American soldier who'd left his Fraulein in Europe when his tour of duty was up. That was back in the day when you could just leave a breadcrumb series of children throughout Europe and everybody called you a hero. Absolutely. (laughs) But Jack's beloved Aunt Anna Unterweger, the quote-unquote only kind person in his life, She was not a sex worker, and in fact, was not even related to him. She was simply a murder victim who shared Jack's last name, and the name Anna Unterweger was lifted from a newspaper article to give Jack's life a little more color and a little more tragedy. Jack Unterweger, to me, is very similar, because Ted Bundy also immediately kind of clouded over his childhood, and he wrote all of these things. But his was the opposite, right? Where he was like, because Ted Bundy maintained his innocence, maintained his innocence forever, and he wanted everything to be sunny and uh, perfect, because he was that type of mar- narcissist that thrived and loved this idea of creating an invincible front that was this kind of perfect guy that everybody loved and everybody wanted a piece of mm-hmm. and and you know people couldn't get enough of Ted right and yeah. he wanted you to feel comfortable with him even though he was this roiling awful fucking super predator underneath where Jack Unterweger he actually got to taste it he got to taste what it was like to be one of those. Everybody loves you. Everybody wants a piece of you types. And this is kind of key to it because Jack Unterweger, the fact that he just like takes a name from a newspaper and he spins it into a story. Jack Unterweger is fucking paper thin as a person. Yeah. He is. There is no Jack Unterweger. Anything you hear about him is a complete projection and a story that he's spinning, and it's going to spin him all the way back to Los Angeles and then back to Austria. It sounds like one of those collages that 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old girls in the mid-90s created with the band Sync, where they would put their <laughs> name next to like all of the yes. big pictures of the people in the in the band Sync, and be like, JC, and then they would take a heart out from a tiger beat, and then they would find their name Stephanie oh, yeah. in a magazine, <laughs> and they would put that on there, and in theory, it's really, really scary, um, but that no, it seems at, like what he did with his life. If you look at my childhood journals, it's just Mr. and Mrs. Wynona Zabrowski. <laughs> Mrs. Wynona Zabrowski. Yeah, you wanted to be the brown beaver? <laughs> well, concern, <laughs> well, concerning the cruel, abusive, alcoholic grandfather, Jack's Aunt Charlotte had a much different story to tell about the man that the locals affectionately called Korbler. Oh, According to her, Jack Unterweger only lived with her and Korbler for four years, and Jack was in fact just a spoiled brat that they all called Hansi. Oh, you've gone to breakfast again, <laughs> and soup wasn't hot enough for me. Oh, I'm going to go outside and play with my wooden hoop. I hate you, Korbler. I hate you, Charlotte. So mad at this damn kid. Oh, my bow has come untied. What about my bonnet? How would I go to school without my school bonnet. Hold on a second. I'm about to make you some more chocolate to shut you up. 
Well, Korbler was just his nickname. His real name, he was just, he was a kindly old Austrian man named Ferdinand hmm. who made money by weaving baskets out of hazelnut branches. Oh, quaint. <laughs> that's why they called him, that's why they called him Korbler. Because Korbler means basket weaver. Oh, it geez. does sound oh, quaint. so cute. It sounds quaint until he gets a massive order because it's Easter Sunday and everyone wants the little basket for their Easter eggs and his bloody hands are just desperately trying to make baskets after basket. Basket after basket. And then everybody yeah. also could be a nightmare job. He immediately organizes a line of people and they all have patches on that are little baskets. And he's got a big <laughs> sign that says, Work shall set you free. Uh-huh. Behind him. And they're all weaving baskets. And he's like, You do not call me Herr Kobler for nothing. I am the basket fever. And if you pay people a living wage and they're there with their own compliance, then that's just being a CEO. <laughs> Ferdinand actually treated Jack Unterweger like a little prince. He would spoil him constantly. He made him handmade toys to try and make the little fucker happy. I hate these Uncle Cobbler. I hate the toads sitting on the log with the fishing rods. They are not real. That is all we got, kid. I hate the little tricycles. I cannot even get onto this made of wood. God. No, I mean, there really was no electricity in the cottage, but nobody in their entire valley, which, by the way, the valley was adorably called Vimitz Valley. Uh, nobody had electricity. This was the early 50s. Half of Europe hadn't been hooked up to electricity yet, and the other half had their shit knocked out by World War II. Uh. This is where white people, like, come out of the crags. This is the true, <laughs> this is the delta of white people. Yeah, yeah, it really is. No, this, this is just a fucking a cottage in the Alps. Oh, yeah. So when I think of the Delta, when I think of the Delta blues, all the great music that was created in the American Delta, I feel the same way about Austria with their great cling clang songs. Dude, this is the Polka Delta. <laughs> this is when you down there. This is where the Polka waters run deep. <laughs> but when it came to Jack's backstory, he knew that being raised in an idyllic cottage by a basket weaver named Ferdinand who made him handmade toys, that wasn't going to elicit a lot of sympathy from the general public. So, as far as the public was concerned, Jack Unterweger was raised in a den of sin by a drunken monster. And Jack, therefore, presented himself as a person who had no choice but to enter a life of crime. Mm-hmm. My parents didn't pay attention to me, which led me, I had no choice but to enter into a life of laughter. <laughs> and yes, absolutely. I think your parents paid way too much attention to you. <laughs> no. To be well, fair. One I parent paid too much attention, the other parent didn't pay enough. You need the both! Oh my god, you are complaining. The, the amount of people who are just looking at their dead suckle. pictures of their dead parents I right now. I couldn't suckle, and that will haunt me forever. And now I'll be suckling till the day I die to make up for it. That was your fault you couldn't suckle. <laughs> it was. What are you? I'm sorry, Henry. You've got to take responsibility. What are you? You got pull myself. You the one job a baby has is to suckle, and you didn't do it. You mean to tell me I need to pull myself up by my suckling bootstraps and get me <laughs> by, suckling? By your, little, by your little baby booties. See, Jack Unterweger, despite his later self-created image of a suave intellectual on the talk show circuit, he started out as a violent criminal from the age of 16 when he got his first conviction for the sexual assault of a sex worker. Between 1966 in 1974, Unterweger was convicted 16 times for everything from the aforementioned sexual assault to theft 
to pimping. He later wrote in his book that he, quote, wielded his steel rod among the prostitutes of Hamburg, Munich, and Marseille, and that he conquered his enemies through an inner hatred. Which is, seems mm. to me like a seed of the truth that he then threw in. Because the one yeah. thing that especially somebody like him, a true villain, he loves mixing the two. I think he really mm -hmm. likes throwing a little bit of like something that's real so you can see that he's not fucking around and right. they actually can still kill you but he wants you mostly he wants you to get the message but I'm harmless now I'm harmless I'm harmless but he's got this other side where he just wants you to also have this little tiny thought knowing that like I also can kill again yeah yeah it's the whole thing of admitting to the smaller crime so you can get away with the really fucking big crime yeah mm. And all in all, between the ages of 16 and 25, Jack Unterweger spent a total of 12 months as a free man and was constantly in and out of prison for a variety of crimes, both petty and serious. Then, in 1973, Jack Unterweger committed his first murder. Now, details are a little murky on this one because Jack was never convicted nor even charged for this murder. But oh, he didn't wear, he didn't wear his GoPro? <laughs> Not yet. But it is highly likely that he was the culprit. According to a young woman who was a witness to the crime, Jack Unterweger, presumably while pimping, beat a sex worker named Maria Horvath in Salzburg, Austria, until she was unconscious. Now, the witness assumed that Jack had killed the girl after he punched her in the throat and she passed out. Mm. But from Jack's actions, it seemed as if he was all too aware that she was still alive. And he decided at this point to begin his serial killing career. Or the opportunity presented itself. How many times do we see that, right? Well, of we, course. No, that's what I mean. Yeah, like Arthur Shawcross, Ugh. that kind of shit, where the first time he put himself in the position of like, I am going to, I don't want to pay money to, to this sex worker. Same thing with Yorkshire Ripper. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting to always see how like they set up the scenario to make it so I had to kill. Right. Yes. And of course, they did not. You're right. <laughs> Just to clarify, they did not. You're have right. To, thank you. Move on. Texas Pete is a sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around. It's generosity in its simplest form. And it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor! By Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some chop. Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of chop. And it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough. But Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. 
Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders. I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. Well, as Maria Horvath lay unconscious and barely alive, Unterweger bound her wrist with an expensive necktie with black and silver checkered stripes and wrapped a bandage from a first aid kit around her head nine times, giving her a mummy-like appearance. He also removed her pants and wrapped her legs tightly at the ankles with her own pantyhose. He then drove to the nearby lake and pulled right up to the edge, where he threw her in to drown. Think about the amount of work that went into that. When he, I mean, honestly, if it was a, if it was a crime of passion, he would have beat her to death. Yeah. Like, you know, to not mince any words, she, he would have just like hit her a couple times and then like, oh fuck, what did I do? But this is a full on premeditated process killer. That's what we're going to discover with him is that he's a full on process killer. He does oh, not the want defini- the, body. the He's the definition of the process killer. Maria Horvath's body was found by a fisherman on the shoreline days later, but in a move that would become part of Jack Unterweger's signature, he had taken none of her jewelry and left the gold signet ring on her finger untouched. Hmm. Now, no one came close to Jack Unterweger as a suspect for this crime because the witness, afraid of what Jack might do to her, she didn't come forward until after he was arrested for the 10 murders in the 90s. Oh. And so Jack continued life as a criminal, working as a disc jockey or a waiter by day, 
and he terrorized Salzburg as a robber, car thief, burglar, and rapist by night. Welcome to 9955 K-K-K-K-K-I-L-L-L-Q. Coming up next is Friday. It's time to get the let out like I did last night on a series of women. Am I confessing to crimes this morning? Beating things with a pipe in the studio. He started this shit early. I think that's interesting. He, Some serial killers don't start the double life thing for a while. Every DJ has a double life. <laughs> Don't even ask about ours because my other life is just me sitting in my underwear at home. Um, but this, he, he had a specific love of the double life. He did. I, I, there, there are certain killers that are like that. Like Ted Bundy. I, I, he comes up for me a lot because I think Jack Untervager's Ted Bundy light. Like he is like, a, he steps below Ted Bundy, but it's kind of the same wolf because they both like attention. and But they both are, uh, they both are actual fucking super predators, like uncontrollable animals. And so... Ted Bundy kind of like he peppered it immediately growing up, having like his put together Republican life mixed with all of the weird shit. He started like all the, the peeping toms and the burglaries and the rapes that he was doing leading up to his first murder. Same thing here. Well, he where, was just trying to build a really good political career, <laughs> you know, uh, but Jack Gunter it's weird. He immediately got a taste for it. Like he liked having the two. He really did. And the difference between Ted Bundy and Jack Unterweger is that, you know, Ted Bundy, we were having this conversation yesterday about how Ted Bundy, like, very much could have gone into a career in politics, perhaps eventually, or a career in law, had he not constantly been uh, consumed by the urge to murder. Yeah. Uh, and it was always yeah. the murder that derailed him every time. Jack <laughs> Unterweger went to prison for 15 years where he was allowed to blossom as a writer because he, murder he was not constantly on his mind he had no choice but to become a writer so when he came out he had this whole life all set up for him but that was a whole new game the whole new game was that he liked to say oh yes i was a murderer i was horrible in my past but i'm no longer a murderer anymore but he's still murdering he's still murdering a lot of people all at the same time so it's this very complicated game uh that he was playing and of course you know he eventually got caught Pretty, a, relatively quickly. If he was yeah. in, if he was in the United States, he would have been caught like five years later. But, uh, but in Austria, why, yeah. it didn't take that long. <laughs> As a matter of, they actually inve- they actually investigate the murders of sex workers in Austria. Yes, but so yes. he he went. Uh, it, that's what makes him not full class A. Yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'm no longer a murderer society. I'm something much worse. I'm a fiction writer. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, and you must read every book that I write. Oh, God, I can barely get through Dune. I can barely get through Dune again. Well, in the years 1973 and 1974, multiple women in various towns made complaints on Jack Unterweger, including one teenage girl who said he picked her up, beat her, tied her hands with her own stockings, and violated her with a steel rod while he masturbated. Now, Jack was immediately arrested for this particular crime, but in a true psychopathic move, he was able to smuggle a large dose of prescription painkillers into his cell for the purposes of a fake suicide attempt. Interesting. His plan worked, and instead of facing a charge for this horrific crime, he was placed in a psychiatric clinic in Salzburg and was soon released. 
did no time whatsoever. Is, he, he just he, understood how to game the system. He, he just, just immediately yeah. had a second nature understanding of what, what do I need to do to squiggle my way out of he this shit. He just did what would fainting goats do. He's just like, what if I fall asleep for 20 hours? It worked. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> yeah. Just a few months later, Jack would commit the murder that sent him to prison. And of course, prison was where Jack would eventually find fame. But what's important to know about Jack is that it's not like he learned how to become charismatic while he was in prison. Even before his first long stretch, he already knew how to use his charisma to control people. And that's exactly what he did with his girlfriend, Barbara, back in 1974. He sort of looked like how you he looks like a European actor. Like he's got a big forehead. He's got those kind of piercing eyes. There's something. I mean, before he had. You're like, going to put a lot of your bias in, by the way, <laughs> when you describe a European actor. Yeah, I actually, looks no, like he's he, about he, to steal my job. <laughs> <laughs> and he was also uh, five. He was just five six. Yeah, he, he did have guy. an actor's body, big head, little body. He did one of those, and but people fucking love this guy. They just thought that he was the funniest, funnest guy. It's very strange because it really was. No one saw the real him until he killed you. Yeah. Sure, that's scary stuff. Now, Barbara said that on December 11th, 1974, Jack used her to lure an 18-year-old girl named Margaret Schaefer into the backseat of his car under the vague auspice of having a good time. Now, the account given by Barbara of this night in entering Hades is a little vague when it comes to motivation for the murder, but it seems like at one point, Barbara let something slip about Jack's criminal activities to Margaret. See, at one point during the hangout, Jack pulled over the car and asked Barbara if there was anything else she wanted to tell Margaret. When Barbara said no, Jack reached into the back seat and jerked Margaret to the front by her shirt. You know what it is, too? Is it immediate? You can see where the rage first spikes, which is a a direct, it's a direct attack. He views it as an attack on his persona. Yeah. And anybody that tries to find any sort of hole in his persona, like there's something about like that is the that's like the fucking narcissist, the, the sadistic narcissist that's like 101. Where right. if you come for the thing that's supposed to be like this thin veneer that makes us friends, that yeah. makes me friendly to you, the second you even try to stick your finger into the curtain, you're gonna get fucking yeah. slapped. Yeah, let me just try to stick my finger into your curtain really quick. No! Oh, I'm going I found a bunch of chocolate. Um, it reminds me, interestingly, of the Donald Trump roast, where the only thing you could not make fun of was, was he, the amount of money that he had or not had. Yeah. But you could make fun of him fucking his own daughter. Yeah. He, was he had no problem with it. But as soon as you talk about the money, don't you don't fuck with my money. Yeah. But you can mention how I want to bang my daughter. <laughs> Save that sentence, Travis. Just just pull that pull that one it's little child. It's Donald, not me. Now Margaret was understandably shocked when Jack pulled her to the front, but Jack told her that nothing would happen if she didn't resist. And she either she believed him or she just fucking froze. And it's you know, that happens to the best of us. There's just nothing to be ashamed about freezing. That happens to so many people uh, in these scenarios. Well, you're but, also taught in America, we're taught to go along with it. That's what, yeah. it, to be honest, uh, that's uh, every cop I've ever spoken to. Anybody talks to me about like these kind of things where especially being robbed while you work in a store, you just give them the money. You just do yeah. the thing. If you're getting mugged, you just give them money and you try to end it. Yeah. And it's not like here where serial murder is a very real thing that people have been living with for uh, decades upon decades. Serial right. murder was not a thing. 
and violence against women is not as anywhere near as bad in Austria as it is here. I've always said that about Austria, especially just right around during World War II and post. And serial killing's not a thing. They got it out of their system. <laughs> serial killing. They, they just did, they just had their government do it, and it just oh, it I really see. helped everybody get it out. I see. Well, because she went along with it. Unterweger was able to tie her hands behind her back using the belt from his girlfriend Barbara's coat. After Margaret was restrained, Jack put her in the back floorboard and rifled through her purse, finding 12 bucks and the key to her apartment. They then drove to Margaret's place where Barbara went inside and took another 40 bucks as well as some of Margaret's clothes. All three of them then drove on the main road out of town headed south, and when they stopped for gas... Jack told Barbara that it was time to make her new friend disappear. Uh-oh. Amazingly, though, it was Barbara who directed Jack to a secluded spot in the woods where he could commit the murder. Well, she that's... was fucking ter- She was in that situation where she is both under someone's control and absolutely terrified of them at the same time. You're a right. di- you are, quote unquote, in love with this type of person, right? He is a sadistic narcissist. You're in love with him. You've He's already done this thing where... Well, malignant bo- narcissist. That, that's yeah. more that, yeah. She, he talks to you and he shows you two sides at all times where he's this friendly, loving, vivacious dude. That's the guy you love. That's the guy you met, right? Yeah. Slowly but surely, because he quote unquote trusts you. That's what he tells you. He trusts you. He starts to tell you about the other shit that he does. But what he's doing is making you an accomplice because yes. he knows that you're stuck here with him. So now you're sitting and talking to him and he's shown you the two sides. You're yep. the only person in his little world that knows the two sides. Everybody else just knows fun, fancy, free Jack who might have gotten in some trouble, but everyone's like, oh, he's like this. He's this good looking rogue type. But you well, he's know. He's a little short. He's a little short. <laughs> hey, he's a fun guy. <laughs> but you have to have a lot of personality if you're short. And so he's, she's talking to with him you're doing stuff so she kind of has an inkling oh he does mean it when he says i can hurt people and i will we need to go hurt this person so you help instead of being the next on the chopping block and it's just normal that's very normal and it's just it's a part of the abuse cycle he's like that green fuzzy he-man evil character that you hit the button and it changes his face Remember that one? Yes. The green yeah. fuzzy He-Man character? You're putting two of them together, though. You're, you're talking about, uh, was it many faces or was that Man-at-Arms? I think that was Man-at-Arms. Oh, Man-at-Arms had the multiple the fuzzy arms. One was the, the fuzzy one was the skunk guy. Hmm. Yes, yeah, skunk man. They invented the toys first, then the show. Isn't that weird? <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction, and it's a daily weight on my life, how much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins as soon as I wake up. And a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. 
I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. How many platforms do I work on? So many platforms. Can you believe it? Google Docs. Work on that. Very complicated. Lots of different things going out. Clickety-clack, right? Slack. Saying things to my employees. All of my, all my, my main doldgers walking around here. It makes sure it changes cluck to the word I meant for it to say to everyone. But I try to say not curse words on Slack. What am I supposed to do about it? But Grammarly doesn't fix curse words, does it? Because Grammarly's too good for it. It's too classy. It's Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high quality writing. Because better writing means a stronger impact. The pen is mightier than the sword. Except when the sword is in the room. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and suggestions based on your audience goals and context. Can you believe it? And data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly. It's in its goods. All right. So Grammarly's great. Use it. I use it. I love its gentle harassment of my writing style because it does help me because sometimes my thumbs are faster than my eyeballs. Don't quote me on that. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Well, after driving a bit down a forest road, Jack pulled over and undressed Margaret. And even though Margaret had a chance to beg for her life with Barbara when Jack momentarily got out of the car, Barbara just shrugged as if to, as if to say, what are you going to do? Like, I can't help you. Like, what the, the, What do you want me to do? Yeah, because then uh, you know that I'm next, right? Yeah. And when Jack returned, he dragged Margaret out of the vehicle into a dark, cold, snow-covered forest and asked Barbara if she wanted to come with him. You want to go? We'll take the sled. (laughs) I don't think he said it like that. But Barbara, knowing what was about to happen, said no and stayed in the car. After Barbara opted out of witnessing the murder, 
Jack grabbed both Margaret's bra and a steel rod from the center console of the car, and he dragged Margaret deeper into the forest out of Barbara's sight. Later autopsy reports stated that Unterweger then mercilessly beat Margaret Schaefer with the steel rod before manually strangling her. But the killing stroke would later become Unterweger's defining signature. He strangled her to death with her own bra. And he never deviated from it. Never. Ever. It is, it's so weird to see a style so distinct. And it happened immediately upon the, maybe his first murder. Because he also began bounding, he he bound the, his potential first, first victim, right? So he started and with the binding. And also, and also bound her with one of her own articles of clothing. That yes. was what, that was his signature. Is it was killing them with an article, a, an intimate article of their own clothing. It's not as fun as when in Home Alone, when he's like, we're the wet bandits, get it? And then they made everything wet. <laughs> yes. It's not as fun as that. It's because not. that was like, yeah, you were no. going to fill up the sink with water. Yeah, because yeah. this is not Daniel Stern. No. <laughs> Daniel Stern, though, would have been good to play him in the movie back in the day. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. No, right? Daniel Stern's too goofy looking. He's too you tall, too. shave his head? You he's shave too his tall. Head? Way too tall. He's tall and, he's tall and lanky. Tom Cruise. Elijah no. Wood. Elijah Wood. <laughs> are we are we just casting now? We might, we're just casting this mass murderer. Well, after the murder, he propped the body against a larch tree, lightly sprinkled the body with leaves and soil, and once again left all the jewelry behind on Margaret Schaefer's otherwise naked body. He wanted to be pointed about the fact that it was never about robbery. Ever. Yes. He returned to the car, splattered with blood 15 minutes after he'd left, and tossed the steel rod, slick with blood and hair, mm. over to Barbara. He then mumbled something about how Margaret couldn't betray them anymore, and they simply drove back to town. But unlike the woman in the first murder, Barbara went to the fucking police. Nice. Oh, and, good. and based on her statements, Jack Unterweger was arrested for the murder of Margaret Schaefer, and he was sentenced to life in prison a year and a half later. Okay. And that's been the last podcast on the left. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. <laughs> we're we're going to be in Grundy County. <laughs> second show at it. Second show at it. Now, to pass the time, hmm. oh, Jack... <laughs> Now, to pass the time, Jack Unterweger began writing various musings about life from his prison cell. And after three years, he'd completed a correspondence course in literature and narrative writing. You could almost say if this didn't turn out to be a massive, one of the longest, deepest cons that anybody would do, you'd say that he blossomed and that yeah. he found the thing. He found his thing that he was supposed to be good at in life. And that, what do we talk about with serial killers all the time? It's born out of extreme mediocrity, right? It's yeah. made out of people sure. that are losers. They're not good at anything else. And then he finally found his thing. But the opposite was true, was that he the thing came to him as he's like, oh, this is how I get back in. Right, right. And yeah. he's just like, all I have to do is become a famous author. And it's starting to make me think that maybe it's not, that maybe serial killing doesn't just come from mediocrity. That maybe it's something else entirely because Jack Unterweger had everything he could ever wanted. He was a, I mean, right. we'll get to it, but you know, by the time he got out of prison, he was a best-selling author and still, he still murdered 10 women. It's just kind of like knowing that you have to get all the way to the presidency so that all of your crimes can be fully covered. We'll see what happens. Marcus, um, by the way, New York Times bestseller. Uh, yeah. How, oh, how yeah. many people have you killed? 
Uh, I would say a since whole... the book. How many people have you killed since the book? <laughs> oh, since the book. That's since a different book. Yeah, yeah. Since the book. Since the I ego say... boost of the book. Remember the big <laughs> ego boost we got last year? I remember, year? The, remember yeah, the big ego boost. That thing that I was yeah. depending on for so many wo- years of of work. All the uh, shows and the, and the, the shows signings and the, and the, you know, the, the tour bus you know, the money we were supposed to the, have and yeah, all, all that. Yeah, yeah. All that stuff. Returning to to Lubbock uh, in a bus, my own face on. I'm just asking for the window and just flip off everybody and say "fuck you." I was right. Fuck you. I was right. Over and over again. Well, actually, um, I am. Let's get the net. Yeah, Zero. let's get the net. <laughs> get the net. Get Zero. The net. I've killed. I've killed none. I've killed none. And, uh, Thank uh, you for saying it in front of a microphone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, of, and of course, we know uh, 2020 and uh, this whole thing has been hard for everyone. So hang on in there. Thank you yeah. for covering. And, uh, absolutely, of course. Yeah. Of course, of course. I'm just joking. Oh yeah, we're just joking. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, soon enough, Jack Unterweger was submitting children's stories to the Austrian equivalent of the BBC, known as the ORF or the ORF. <laughs> Ultimately, 50 of Jack's stories were broadcast on ORF's children's radio program. Holy fucking shit. Oh my God. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> and here's the story of the magical bra. All she wanted to do was yeah. live on the necks of the women she used to live on. It always becomes Bill Cosby. Oh, Fuck. I, I, wish, I wish you were Jimmy Savile. Oh, <laughs> that's my favorite. But rather than being horrified that a convicted murdering rapist was feeding stories to children, <sighs> most listeners saw Jack's stories as a celebration of the love he'd never known himself in his childhood. Oh, oh right. my God. I just... I don't know. There's I a middle ground here, people. There's yeah. absolutely middle ground. There has to be. That's unbelievable. <laughs> One listener, a single mother, was so moved by the stories that she began visiting Jack in prison, and she testified at his parole hearing years later as a character witness, maintaining that Jack was merely a misunderstood man, quote, Full of love. Yeah, I mean, what was so weird? She came dressed for her. For she was a character witness, so she came dressed as Gumby, and uh, <laughs> she just did not understand what it meant to be a character. It was about his character, and she came dressed as Gumby. So, where is my gun? Where is it? <sighs> well, after, well, after the children's stories, Jack, like almost every fucking serial killer in existence. Moved on to poetry. It's not because poetry <laughs> is easy. It's, I think that it's because poetry seems easy. Yes. It, this sure, is, don't don't. It, I'm it, not, we got, it seems easy. It's it's not no, easy. It's doing not it well, easy, but it seems easy. There's doing it well is di- there's a difference between me running down the block and Usain Bolt running the 100. You know, there's there a big is a difference. difference. There's yeah, a difference. it's both running. But one is gangly and, and weird, and the other is an achievement. Yep. Yeah, one looks like a grown-up greyhound on two legs, <laughs> just flitting down the street, and one is Usain Bolt. Oh, yeah. look yeah, yeah. at that. Cute. Yeah. Well, this is an example of one poem that imagined death as a lover who would take him in her embrace and free him from his pain. It's called Love Poem to Death. You come to me again. You don't forget me Until the end is the agony and the chain breaks Still you appear strange And distant And our live death You stand like a cool star Over my distress But then you will be near And full of flame Come lover I am here Take me I am yours
And just to put that into some clarification here, let's read something from BTK. Oh, Anna, why did you appear? It was the perfect plan of deviant pleasure. So bold on that spring night. My inner feeling hot with propension of the new awakening season. Yada, 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 yada. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Oh, Anna, why didn't you appear? That's uh, Dennis Rader. So I actually totally understand what you're saying. Dennis Rader is you. And he, in this situation, is Usain Bolt, because he, that is much better than anything BTK wrote. He genuinely yes. had a touch. Like, he yeah. had, like, a poetic touch. Yeah, he had a talent for writing. And by the way, B, uh, BTK is the Riddler. That's who the Riddler is. He is the Riddler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. much respect for him, actually. I'm He's surprised. A, I mean, the Riddler still needs a bullet in the head. Like, right. I wish that man could, I hate the Riddler. <laughs> okay, but he is an A-team guy. That's he's all a, I'm saying. He somehow yeah. got to the A-team. You, know, yeah. you mean, the Riddler is just baked in at this point. Perhaps that's the <laughs> ultimate riddle of all. But unlike hmm. every other serial killer writer outside of Ian Brady, Jack Unterweger didn't stop with poetry. He began writing short stories, plays, and eventually novels. And the literary community ate it up. In 1984, Unterweger's story In Station Zuchthaus won an Austrian literary prize, and he followed that in 1985 with the book that made him famous, Fegefeuer, oder Die Reise in Zuchthaus. You're scaring me. It's, always, it's, the t- it's just the language. In English, that translates to Purgatory, or... The trip to prison. <laughs> and he, I don't, why does it have a smiley face at the end of it? I don't know. This is fun. Now, Purgatory was published as a novel, but it was a highly autobiographical novel, and everyone took Jack at his word. The book opens with Unterweger narrating a nightmare about being put in handcuffs. But even after the dream ends, he still wakes up in a prison cell. No! Prison, however, was not hell in Jack's world. Prison was purgatory, as the title explicitly states, and this decision was actually very clever. Calling it purgatory implied that Jack was not a soul forever condemned for his crimes, but was instead worthy of redemption. He's just waiting for his time in heaven. (laughs) Essentially, he was telling the reader that he would leave prison one day, Because he deserved to leave prison. And what was absolutely insane was that the vast majority of the Austrian public bought the claim and bought Jack's story. I could see, well, the government at the time, from what the documentaries were saying, the government at the time was on a mission to rehabilitate people. Yes. So he became the perfect poster boy for it because he was good at his job. He was good at being a writer. So they're like, you know, you can't be talented and a vicious murderer. They don't believe that. They don't, they don't think that can happen. And it's, it's, it's interesting because so he kind of saw it. He scanned it in his mind and kind of put himself directly in the spotlight. Interesting. And after the book became a bestseller, Austria's intellectual elite started a public campaign to release Jack Unterweger from prison. They wrote letters to the Austrian president requesting a pardon for Jack, because obviously someone with this much talent couldn't possibly be a danger to society. Yeah, Hitler sucked at painting. Yeah, that's very (laughs) true. 
However, the president refused, not because of the horrific nature of his many crimes, but because Jack had only at this point served 10 years. He was only in jail for 10 years already. Wow. See, in Austria, any prisoner, including those convicted of murder, go up for parole after 15 years, even if they have a life sentence. They undergo a psychiatric evaluation, and if they are deemed to no longer be a threat to society, then they can be released. Now, murderers in Austria rarely get out right at 15 years, but most still don't serve more than 20. With Jack, though, the public push to release him began five years before his parole hearing was even held, with his supporters arguing that purgatory was proof that Jack had transformed himself through self-reflection. But what I think this is proof of is that even in a country where sex work is legal, most people still think of sex workers as less dead. Because I highly doubt people would be so forgiving had Jack Unterweger killed a fucking pretty teenage girl from a wealthy family. Yeah, if it was John Benet Ramsey, he would not have gotten back out. No, no. they wouldn't have found him at all. No, but as far John, as John Benet Ramsey, the the killer's never been. Found. We remember. <laughs> okay. But as far as supporters Fat cat went, society—that's who did it. I want to find yeah. out where those guys are. Yeah. yeah. But as far as supporters went, one of Jack's biggest was radio talk show host Peter Humer. He called purgatory, quote, a real cry. Oh! <laughs> and he said that Unterweger represented the hope that a person can somehow come to grips with their problems through verbalization. I wish, I wish they could. I want they, them to. They mm -hmm. can. Some people can. Many people can. Most people can. Dangerous psychopathic sexual sadists mm, cannot. They I, can't just talk. Uh, the dangerous psychopathic sexual sadist can't just talk his way out of it. When I think of like, who's the best judge of character? I always say <laughs> DJs. radio DJs. Yeah, man. You know, the way that we they always the love. Like, uh, Bubba like, the love sponge. Bubba the love sponge. <laughs> He, always he filmed the Hulk Hogan having sex with his wife because why? That's honesty. Yeah. And that's transparency. Casey Anthony, she found a DJ of a different kind because they found something in her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. DJs are just the mind's eye of society. DJs, we, what did we learn from side stories? DJs' jobs are to observe when people, the party flow, right? right. So their job, all they do is observe people. And that's what, they, so we should trust the DJs. I think we should have a DJ on the Supreme Court. <laughs> You guys are talking about three different kinds of personality. You're talking about a, a disc jockey, yep. which is mm -hmm. one thing, which is different from a club DJ, which is different well, from a radio personality. I Why do you got the same name? I was actually talking about <laughs> DJ Tanner from Full House. Oh, Deej. Yeah, Deej. Well, Jack Unterweger, what he was for the intellectual elite of Austria, he was a social experiment for them. And 10 women would die to satisfy their curiosity. Ugh. But it wasn't just the intellectuals on Jack's side. Purgatory was so popular that a feature film based on the book was produced and released while Jack was still in prison. Although it did very conveniently replace Jack's sadistic murder with simple assault. I couldn't find both films because there was another movie because I know Michael Fassbender was working no. on a Jack Untervega movie. Really? And I couldn't find that. That's never well, came out. I don't out. think that was ever made, yeah. I don't think it was made. And the, But the, that would be good. Uh, but then there was a movie called Jock that I couldn't find that didn't come out that long ago. And then there is that movie, Purgatory, that he was on set for. No, he was going to visit set from jail and give notes on, on the set that he'd get to go do. But I couldn't find that movie either. Oh, yeah. my God. All right. There were some people, however, who weren't fooled. And the people not buying Jack's line tended to be people who were in direct contact with Jack. 
See, the woman who had first encouraged Jack to write was named Sonia Eisenstein, and she'd been in contact with Jack since 1974. See, she'd been somewhat intrigued with how a seemingly soft-spoken, five-foot-six-inch man could be convicted of murder, and she wanted to discover the reasons why. You don't think five-foot-six people can fucking kill people? No, I do think that they can kill people. I think that's what we've learned over the years. There's literally an entire complex named after it. <laughs> Very accomplished general. That that complex is named after. <laughs> uh-huh. But as she got to know Jack better, she noticed that he had an almost supernatural ability to win advocates to his side. And he was able to gain privileges and influence in prison with ease. There was something about Jack that made just a fucking hairs on her neck stand on end. See, I've, what I have the ability to do is walk on all fours with my ass so high up in the air that they just start giving me food and candy. <laughs> and it is fantastic. I love it when the sticky horse is in jail. Do you remember the sticky horse? <laughs> yes, that's my sticky horse. That's your sticky horse. That's you. I know. Uh, but you know, you know what I would say? Can I drop a little bit of Satanism in here? But it's not going to apply to everybody. But there is a, when you look at, when you read The Satanic Witch by Anton LaVey, it is aged poorly. But he talks about, which I, it's a comp, it's a, it's a way of what he called personal enchantment. So what he does is this personality clock, right? Which is this idea that you, uh, there are three aspects of the human personality. It's what you look at when you see them. Right. And then their inner demonic personality, which is the exact opposite of who what they, they look they look like. And then their inner inner personality. So to break it down, I'm an endomorphic, quote unquote, party animal like it's on a clock. Right. They would let's say I'm at a, a three o'clock on the clock. Right. I'm an endomorphic party animal who's like a fun, ruddy dude when you see and you look at me. But on the opposite side of the clock is someone that is an, a cold or a analytical, someone that is more subdued in their emotions. And the real you is the third you, which is exactly as you appear, right? You actually are a fun-loving person on the inside. But the way to get people to gain their trust is that you show an opposite sliver of your personality to someone and it feels like they trust that it feels like there is a trust bond like a secret has been shared like oh i'm this crazy guy but really i love towns van zandt like that kind of <laughs> shit where you go you say a thing where he naturally did that where jack underweger put on this one personality but then would switch this but i grew up in a prostitute's hut like and Whoa. it brings people in immediately well, those are the barbs on the hook yes yeah well, concerning Sonia Eisenstein, when she actually researched the details of the murder that had put Jack behind bars, she was fucking horrified yeah. and she cut off all contact. But years later, when Jack was released from prison and became a celebrity, Sonia actually tried sounding the alarm. She wrote a very succinct, well-written letter to the local paper saying this. Jack Unterweger is a shark in the Austrian cultural scene. His madness is like the AIDS virus, an agent of destruction that threatens all of society. No one is safe from him. Ooh. Jeez, that's scary. <laughs> that's a harsh one-star review on iTunes. <laughs> but have you read his poetry? I mean, that's what people did. That's what they said in response. Yeah, dude, the, since public opinion was on Jack's side, the editor didn't publish the letter. And his popular support continued well into his trial for 10 murders across three countries. Now, concerning how Jack got released for the savage murder of Margaret Schaefer, it really didn't take that much effort once it got time for the parole hearing. Many politicians and church leaders were all for Jack's release, and the local governor actually said this. We will never find a prisoner so well prepared for freedom. Well, you will find him once again. 
after he kills 10 people. No, no, no. I've never found someone. He just wants it, you know. Most yeah. people, they think they want freedom, but they don't. He does. He wants it, wants it, wants it. It wasn't anybody else. <laughs> okay. And so on April 27th, 1990, a court-appointed psychiatrist gave Jack a favorable prognosis. And less than a month later, Jack Unterweger was back on the streets of Vienna as a best-selling author and celebrity. To me, this oh is... Oh, my God. This is the true power of psychopathy, whatever he'd have. He went deep undercover into his own personality for 15 years. This was always the plan. He knew that he was working his way towards getting out. When he saw it, when he... Uh, you could imagine the oh, inner not for glee. 15 years. I would say he figured it out about five years in. Sure, but I mean, when he entered into the character of Jack yeah. Unterweger, Once celebrity he that author, out. yeah, he, he didn't let it go to anybody. This is a, the, there's something about it, like the, it, there, that idea of the double life and holding up this, this fucking, because now the inner life, whatever the fuck it is, that's this fucking animal that's inside of you is very hungry and yeah. you have this this thin sheet that no one else understands is is gone in a second like it's a tissue thin front and no one knows that but he's been holding the line to keep bringing that term up he's been holding sure. this shit down for fucking at least 10 years yeah. and now he's coming out and just being like so he imagined at some point he must think he's fucking invincible i mean you yeah. just described pennywise the clown yeah. yeah like he's just like i didn't eat kids for 50 years no one gives me credit for not eating kids and i come back and i eat kids every 50 years and now i'm a bad guy well, within weeks if not days after his release from prison jack unterweger was pontificating on the redemptive power of writing on austrian talk shows and drawing applause for the contrition he showed for strangling a woman in the forest with her own bra to commemorate his first week out of prison, Unterweger bought an expensive Mercedes that had a vanity plate reading <laughs> W Jack One. Wow. Oh my God. And now it's no, it's another level of douchebag. <laughs> yeah. Now oh. it's just like now we're getting to like nacho dude. fries where they put the liquid cheese on top. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. <laughs> and, and he dressed in the finest clothing bad taste could buy. According to accounts, Jack Unterweger, fashion-wise, was stuck in the disco era. This is 1990, <laughs> and he's strutting around town in snow-white silk suits with red roses on the lapels. He looked like a fucking mid-70s pimp. Big sunglasses. Oh, yeah. He fucking, a lot of jewelry, um, a lot of, like, the fancy cars, hanging out with models. He jumped straight into like rock star lifestyle like he was like yeah. ready to go which i can honestly imagine 10 15 years of prison even a fucking like european prison it's gotta suck but now you're coming out yeah. of this thing and he just was like boom it I'm doesn't a fucking superstar i would say it doesn't seem like prison was that bad for him because he always had that extension to the outside world but mm -hmm. i do have to say this is the point of the show where i will defend portions of this person's character i kind of like the disco look it's fun <laughs> it is fun what's wrong with fun? You know, hell i love the big jackets i like the, i don't i just nothing wrong with a good disco look the the disco look comes back every 10 years it does mm -hmm. and you know for some people the power of celebrity trumps all and jack had no problem seducing woman after woman after woman but some did get a little scared off when they got jack home and found that his body was covered in these fucking diabolical prison tattoos he loved it but also 
Huh. Again, one of those like serial killer true crime nerd things that I love is the uh, accidental psychological positioning of exteriors and interiors. Like, yeah. you know, we talk about Ed Gein's house and that kind of thing. But like in on his body, like he covered it up completely when he was dressed sure. outside like he had those big suits fancy suits all kind of shit and there was something about how you didn't see the prison tattoos until it was like essentially like too late you're already yeah. nude with the guy plenty and of he, women ran and said i gotta go this yeah is, i'm certain yeah. i'm certain but he uh you know he's a tv man what does this the tv mean? man on the tv gets a lot there's you don't understand just how easily the human animal is hypnotized by images that are in the media like you you the tv man buys you trust like seeing him all the time seeing his face seeing people you like talk to his face and then you think that that guy must be cool because how could he be on all the tv shows i like if he wasn't a a fixed person i mean that's what i think about dennis franz from nypd blue what are you talking about he normalized our bodies i I know what he did for your people (laughs) he allowed us to be sex objects you just imagine looking at john's body just being like oh what's that tattoo and he's like that's when we played sticky horsey (laughs) that's me just as the sticky horsey that's bruno behind me he's gonna be sticky Now, of course, people started digging into the murder Jack had committed more out of curiosity than anything else. But Jack, like any good psychopath, he already had an excuse locked and loaded. He'd had 15 years to think about it. When asked about the murder of Margaret Schaefer, Jack would first give a preamble about being abandoned by his mother to an alcoholic grandfather, which shored up sympathy for the crime to come. Then... He'd give a sob story about being in the throes of drug and alcohol abuse by 1974, which framed the murder as a sort of rock-bottom story, something he could recover from. And finally, Unterweger found a way to blame the murder on both the victim and his own mother. Mm. He said that there was just something about Margaret Schaefer that irritated him, and he finally figured out that it was because she looked and sounded like his mother. And it was for this reason that he beat Margaret Schaefer with a steel rod and strangled her to death. And that worked for people to just be like, yeah, I hate my mom too. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. Hashtag, you know, moms bought it every time. Then as a kicker, once when a reporter named Margaret Haas heard this story and unflinchingly asked how Jack felt about his mother. Now he said this, I'm on pretty good terms with her. Yeah, she lives in Munich and I visit her from time to time. It's great. But you just said that the person that you killed reminded you of your mother and oh, you hated your mother. and I hated her then. But, but now, now you like we get her? Together. We've watched The Office. You oh did? my God, when he spilled the chili. Yeah. Have you seen that scene when he spills the chili? I did see that scene, Oh, sir. my mother and I laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and we just hang out all the time. Yeah. We went shopping the other day. Yeah, what do you think when you see Pam? I'm a Maxinista with my mother. It's so much fun. We were like, oh, we're just having fun. <laughs> okay. Now Jack's creative output never slowed down after he left prison. He wrote further novels and began producing plays like one called Dungeon, which flopped critically and commercially. And oh. he wrote and produced a play about AIDS called Scream of Fear. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, whoa. That's, uh, that's about right. But again, those who had worked closest with Jack weren't sold. The director of the film adaptation of Purgatory said that Jack doesn't like literature and Jack doesn't like writers. Jack, he said, doesn't like anything. Jack only likes Jack. And this is coming from a director of a movie. They are the meanest people on earth. And sure enough, just four months after being released from prison, Jack began killing once more 
and he wouldn't stop until 10 more women were dead. And that's where we'll pick back up next week for part two of Jack Unterweger, where we'll cover the majority of his murders and his time in the infamous Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Oh, my God. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. This is fascinating. You're right, uh, Mr. Marcus Parks. He is one of the more accomplished maniacs that we've ever covered. I can't think of anyone, as a matter of fact, that could do any of the things that that he was able to do but while it's weird. doing something that he did, he which had is mass a, murder. He had a fucking literary career that was his throwaway persona. Like, right. think about that kind of... That's why he is so fascinating to me because like that's it started our conversation about Ted Bundy because in my mind, his political career got cut short. But I think Ted Bundy had a plan at one point where he's like, if I enter into politics, I really do think that Ted Bundy could have been our first congressman serial killer. Like yeah. it was oh. just a couple of wrong turns that he took that. But if he had stayed on track, it's that same kind of skill set where they were just trying to all of this shit was just an excuse yeah. to get them to a point where no one would question their actions anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've only had Gary Condit. He murdered somebody, supposedly. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. Ted Kennedy, he was a senator who murdered somebody. Matthew Broderick. No, he's not in Congress. He's not in Congress. And he, that was an accident. And you need to stop doing what you're doing with Matthew Roderick. I love him. Um, but we haven't had any serial killers. Not yet. So. Not that we uh, now that we've discovered. Not yet. No, not not yet. Discovered. There's always time. There's definitely why I'm there's I some, am some certain. that are responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths. But, that's different. Uh, no, yeah, that's <laughs> that's government. <laughs> it's different. Yeah, yeah, that's much different. But you the thing about Jack Utrecht is that he's actually gonna take it even further when he goes to Los Angeles. Oh uh, when God. it when it comes to m- making the game just that much harder and to seeing how much he can truly play society, he fucking turns it up all right he's a real triple h time to play the game a little reference for my wrestling fans out there thank you uh thank you all by the way for supporting every show that we have here on the lpn network thank you for listening to this episode we have we got uh, a couple one, of things. One, one more of this guy right one more one more of this guy and let's do a little bit of an announcement we've got coming this monday march 15th Dunecast with me and holden mcneely is coming out on the tubes and just again to prepare you it's going to come out on the last podcast on the left stream on as well it's yes. coming on our feed it's also on its own feed so just know that's coming for you and then this wednesday st patrick's day someplace underneath with natalie jean and amber nelson is also going to debut uh very excited for you guys to see this new show we've been we've been working real hard on all of this shit and i hope that you guys like it Absolutely. Um, we still got some tickets for our show in grundy county grundy county on friday what was it what's the place called I think it's just called the, the place in Grundy County. The, 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 the caverns of Grundy yeah, the, County. The only place in Grundy County where concerts are held. Yeah, yeah wherever it says we are, that's where we're going to be. Again, so going to be outside, big cordoned off areas, so we'll all look real small. And of course, mm-hmm. the only thing you got to do is bring your gun for half off tickets. That's yep. a joke. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, and don't forget the uh, the season yes. 1.1 of No Woo. Dogs in Space is uh, premiering on March 25th. It's season 1.1. It's not necessarily a bridge into the entire next season, but it is, you know, it's just, it's a band that we really love and it's really cool. It's going to be fun. We're, we already recorded episode one, so we're fucking, we're ahead of schedule. All right. That's fucking sweet. Toad the wet sprocket. It is. What a story. <laughs> 
story you have to tell. Can't mm. wait for Alice in Chains. Oh, oh yeah, least. well, that'll be right after our Better Than Ezra series, our five-part <laughs> series on Better Than Ezra. What well, about Ezra? Exactly. <laughs> Dave no, but what about Ezra? And I want to personally shout out to Edward Larson from Brighter Side. I had a chance to interview Bobby Lashley, a WWE champion, because hmm. Eddie's friend is friends with him. So thank you, Mr. Larson, for hooking that up. And if you haven't listened to that episode, check that out on Kind of Fun and uh, Top Hat and all the other shows. You know what to do. Um, anything else, boys? Nothing. Nothing, Nothing at all. Nothing. A goddamn thing. Not a fucking thing. All right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. Hail yourself. Hail Satan. Again. Magustalations. Don't trust writers. Don't trust a writer except if it's Marcus. Yeah, we're fine. Most of us. Hail Gein. <laughs> Hail Gein, Marcus. I said it. I said it. I he said, said it. Okay. Um, isn't it enough? Haven't we done enough? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I said, I've said it 430 something fucking times. I, it's, I'll say it again. It's like 500. Yeah. Well, how many times I've said it, though? Hmm. Huh. He's getting writer's <laughs> This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.